Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. So this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So as you know, this podcast is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. So folks, um, today I want to introduce you to a woman that I met uh, last week when I was out in Ohio at the post-critical incident seminar uh, called Assist Out There, PCIS. And that is, uh, the only way I can put it, is a program that is put together for first responders, that being police, fire, EMT, uh, corrections, dispatchers, and other first responders that uh, are has, have been deemed to have been involved in an incident that requires uh, them to receive um, some you know, help and guidance and maybe some counseling regarding that particular incident or maybe some long-term trauma. And it's a fantastic program. I've been a part of it now for oh, four or five years. I've lost track of how long I've, I've been doing it, but uh, I've been, been working on it for a while. And I, I do the addiction lecture that's out there. And um, at these these seminars, they, they have counselors that will come in, therapists. There's discussions about wellness. They have massage therapists. We talk about yoga. We talk about how to take care of yourself. Um, we do group sessions, individual sessions. Um, and then just really just talk you know, through the incidents that the first responders were involved in and help them process that information and um, really just get on track with their lives, live a healthy way, and um, and then even point them to follow-on um, care if they need that. And I had the pleasure when I was out there, I meet a lot of great people, but uh, in this go-round, I met a woman named A.K. DeZante, and I want you to meet her today and hear a bit about her. And she is the founder and creator of Lifesaver Wellness, and um, this is in Ohio, and she's a mental resiliency specialist and coach for first responders. And she has a pretty interesting background. She's been a first responder herself, so she knows the lay of the land in this particular uh, profession, and she's going to talk to us today a bit about what her experiences have been and how she has turned that into ways to help the people in the first responder community and their families. So with that, AK, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, go ahead and tell us a little bit about, I met you at um, Ohio Assist, which is a PCIS last week, and um, so you were there, you were you were attending it. And tell us a little bit about how and why you were there yourself. Yeah, so I actually found out about it from a good friend of mine who is a peer. Um, As you know, it is uh, primarily peer-supported. There are lots of people who have been through the program themselves, sat in the hot seat, and have gone through training to, to be there and really be Um, a secondary backbone for the participants. And so I found out from a good friend of mine about it. I reached out to some of the the folks that run the program and they said, that's great. We would love to have you, but you got to sit in the hot seat first. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, you do. We all have to be there first. Right. So I said, all right, let's do it. And Um, I jumped in the first chance I got and wow, was that a life-changing experience? Um, you know, I, 
I myself am a, am a coach. I have been a victim advocate. I've done all these things. And um, I knew that I probably still had a little bit to unpack, but it was very eye-opening um, just as to how much we suppress and hold back from even ourselves. And this kind of brought it all to the surface so that I can continue to work with it and um, you know, bring the best version of myself to my clients and my students. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. You started out in law enforcement yourself, didn't you? I did. Um, so I was, I went to Kent State and at 19 years old, I started as an auxiliary um, working some undercover online investigations. And I, so I was working under the umbrella of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and um, did that for a couple of years while I was in school, got my degree. And actually two days after I got my degree, I started full time with the sheriff's office um, and did that for quite a few years until I absolutely burned out. Um, I was on the Marine Patrol and I had actually gotten officer of the year February of 2015. And that following September, I was just wiped out. I had adrenal fatigue through the roof, um, crazy paranoia, hypervigilance, and I made the decision that I needed to make a shift. I was young enough in my career that I felt that I had a good opportunity to do that. Um, I left full-time. I left the full-time law enforcement, and then I became a criminal court victim advocate. Um, I did that for five years, and in the interim, I went back and got my master's degree in victimology and criminology. I got my yoga teacher training certificate, um, got <laughs> certified in some Reiki and some other fun stuff. And um, last August, I left uh, that position and started working on creating Lifesaver Wellness and figuring out how to serve and give back and help people my own way. Well, yeah, that's, that's quite a background. And you talk about burnout and adrenal fatigue. What does adrenal fatigue look like, just in case some of our listeners are experiencing that? Because I understand that conceptually, but like, what were you experiencing when you had that? So I, I don't know a whole lot about the science behind adrenal fatigue itself, but I can tell you what I was experiencing. Um, I did not know that my cortisol levels were through the roof. I had been experiencing a ton of adrenaline dumps with, you know, that hypervigilance and the paranoia. I was always having these adrenaline dumps, whether they were rational or, or irrational. It still pumps cortisol through your body. And it, that can last, I mean, once, once you have one adrenaline dump, that can last for like 48 hours in your body. So when I finally left full-time law enforcement, I took about a month off. And in that time, I probably slept 16 to 18 hours a day, every day for a month. And it was completely involuntary. I wanted so badly to get out and do things, and I just didn't have the energy. My body was, um, it, my body needed some recovery time. Yeah, and before coming on the air, you and I were talking about that. That uh, you know, I started out my law enforcement career 
in the Washington Metropolitan Police Department, which is a big city police department. And that was one of the things that I noticed when I was in the department that uh, it was just an adrenaline dump, 100%. I always tell people it was 100% adrenaline 100% of the time. And your body is just not designed to do that. It just, it's just not. And then you couple that with uh, rotating shifts. You know, you're working days, then you're working evenings, then you're working midnights, and then you switch back. And then you, you got that. So you can never get into a, a proper sleep cycle. You're not in REM sleep. Um, let's face it, you're not working out like you used to. You're not uh, sleeping, as we just mentioned. You're not eating the way you're supposed to. It's just a, a very toxic thing to do to your body. <clears throat> and I remember thinking to myself then, because I, I knew in the back of my mind that I was going to be going federal law enforcement and it would be a very different lifestyle. But I but I thought there's just no way that you can do this for 20, 30 years. Now, people do. You know, people work oh, at, yeah. even in the department that I was in. I, I don't, my hat's off to the folks that do that because that's, that's a lot of punishment on your body, your brain, and your soul. I mean, emotionally, physically, spiritually, it, it's just, uh, it's tough. It's a very, very tough thing to do. And that's why it's important that people like yourself, AK, and, and, and me and, and others are working to help first responders, um, you know, think about these types of things and, and think about taking care of themselves uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And, and that's what you're doing now, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, teaching first responders about, you know, just your overall wellness, how to, you know, practice mindfulness and, and not real, and not let your own identity slip away from you. Um, so I, I have some agency trainings, and then um, I do one on one on excuse me one on one coaching as well. And then I'm actually developing an app as well to to bring some of these practices um, to to the pockets of first responders because you know when you're out on duty and your call after call after call, if you can just take one minute one minute to breathe um that could be a tremendous release going into the next call and so different little physiological tricks that you can do but mostly it's just about you know mindfulness and and overall wellness just taking care of yourself and making sure that you're not losing yourself in the identity of the job speaking of which again another conversation you and i had prior to coming on to this show was people identifying with this job, whether you're a firefighter, EMT, corrections officer, dispatcher, police officer, federal agent, people really identify with this job and it becomes who they are, doesn't it? Uh, 100%. 100%. And that's that's and not I a healthy thing. I mean, I've noticed, uh, you know, I'm retired FBI and I know a lot of people that retired with me that that's their entire identity. And it's almost like they don't know what to do with themselves after they retire because, you know, going into law enforcement, and if you're not familiar with, um, you know, the lifestyle of a first responder, it's very common for people to have that position just become who and what they are. Almost like, you know, if, if imagine if you will, if you were, uh, you know, a young Catholic kid and becoming a priest, you know, being a priest isn't just a job. It's, it's what you are from that point or a pastor, you know, the same thing. You know, if you're a soldier, airman, marine, um, you know, that's, that's what you are. I'm a naval officer. I'm an army officer, whatever the case may be. And um, that's understandable on one hand, but uh, in my opinion, you correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different opinion, AK, I think that that's understandable, but it's a very unhealthy thing to do long term. 
to live your life that way. Would you agree with that? I would. And I think that, you know, part of it is because we're not forming our own identity. I think it's because we see, we, we choose to see who we are through the lens of other people. How do other people see me? Well, other people see me as a cop. Other people see me as a firefighter. Other people see me as, you know, an FBI agent, whatever the case is. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, we don't, think that we can choose our own identity and and when you get into the job you very much especially you know just personifying it wearing the uniform makes you feel like that is all you are and as we know there's so much more to life than just your job but with first responders it really becomes you know their their identity how they present themselves to the world. Yeah, it is. And it translates into our relationships. And when we come home, that's what we talk about. And your world just becomes that. The people that you associate with become that, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And and part of that is because, you know, most people don't understand what you're going through. And so in order to kind of keep yourself safe and not have to explain things, you you hang around with people who do understand it. Um, and I think some of what factors into that, I, I think about, you know, the gallows humor and, you know, a lot of first responders have a sick sense of humor and that is, that is just a coping mechanism. It's a defense thing, but most people find it very offensive and and I can understand why. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I know that one of the things when I retired from law enforcement and I, you know, I work out in the civilian community, if you will, that what I say to people and my sense of humor, I, I learned very quickly that the sense of humor that I developed, and I would say by law enforcement standards, I don't know that my sense of humor is all that dark compared to a lot of people that I know. But even with that, I, I found very quickly that, no, I, I was going to have to change how I spoke to people because you know people in the community just don't see things the way that we do. And uh, like you said, it, it's a coping mechanism. I think it, it, there's just a, a hardness that you develop over the years when your job is to deal with the worst that society has to throw out every single day. Um, that changes you, and it changes the way that you look at the world, and it changes your sense of humor. And we do. We have a hard time relating back to other people, and but what that does is cause us to only associate with the people that see the world that we do. But for your long-term health... That's probably not a good thing, I would say. I would, I would definitely agree. Um, you know, chronic negativity or pessimism, pessimism, or just you know, seeing the world through a negative lens is is not good. Um, we we had talked previously about that experiment with the rice that you did. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> the white rice experiment. Negative. Yeah, and. Um, you know, having a positive outlook literally can change your physiology. Having a negative outlook will literally change your physiology, um, one for the better and one for the worse. And, and it's, um, it's important to stay grounded and, you know, not get caught up in these cycles of, of negative thoughts. 
Yeah, I know that, and you had mentioned that there there is a statistic, and I don't know where the numbers come from, but I but I've heard variations on this over a period of time. But one thing is clear that people that are first responders when they retire, uh, there there is a not a real long average life expectancy after they retire. And I heard, I think last week we heard the the number five years thrown out. And uh, I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but I do know this, that a lot of people don't make it very long after they retire, um, after being a first responder. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, they they did not take care of themselves. They continue to not take care of themselves and really just kind of lose lose interest. They lose that desire to to continue living. And so one of the suggestions I would make to people and I and I make and that's a theme of this podcast is you know you, you need to find other interests you need to you know law enforcement it, like in my case that's where I came from and in your case we were both law enforcement um, that's just a that's just a chapter in your life it's not the whole book and we're moving on to the next chapter and if you've not found um, something else healthy to to be involved in and in a way to contribute to the society I would highly recommend that you do so and do so quickly. Because, you know, I know once I retired, uh, I went back to school, I started doing this work, you know, I started this podcast, uh, working with first responders, and I'm busier today, I'm probably busier today than I was when I was working, which at times can become frantic, but you know what, but I've also not, one thing I've not done is sat down and looked back and had time to dwell on what was and, you know, my old identity. And so that's probably a good thing. Are those things that you talk about in the training that you do? A little bit, yeah. Um, So the agency training, though, is more centered on um, beating the burnout. So it's more centered to the guys who are in the job. They're, you know, halfway through their career or even brand new or or close to the end, you know, not so much close to the end because they know that the end is near. And so they're, (laughs) they're like, I'm just here to ride it out. Um, but, but it's really about, um, combating, you know, those physiological responses that we have to trauma, um, processing the trauma that we see, not just stuffing it away, um, different forms of mindfulness that they can get into and how to talk to their buddies about, you know, if, if there's noticing something, going on with with a coworker, then they think that they're potentially in harm or in um excuse me in danger of hurting themselves or somebody else how do you talk to them how do you reach out how do you start that conversation and that is that's a big one um because as you know suicides in first responders and law enforcement are just not not pretty numbers right now and it's just getting worse so that is one of the the targets that i like to hit um because that is a that hits home for me but it's something that that needs to be addressed we can't keep pretending like it's not a problem no and this has always been a problem in law enforcement and by the way the military as well but how would you say this last year with the covid lockdowns and then the public's reaction to law enforcement uh, in particular, how has that affected what, what you're seeing? I mean, just as you would expect, it's you're not having any support from the community. And, and there is some support, but then, you know, you get even family members and friends that start start to question you because of what they're seeing on mainstream media. And 
um, you know, COVID has instilled fear in everybody up one side and down the other. And that includes law enforcement. You know, there were a lot of first responders that were like, I don't want to go to work because I'm exposed to all these people and I don't want to get COVID. Um, so it really, really has made it 10 times more difficult for them to go out and focus on their jobs. It's, it's become quite a distraction and just, you know, like I mentioned in a previous conversation with you, when I left uh, full-time law enforcement, it was 2015 and that's when all of the Baltimore stuff was rising up. And so there, there were literal targets on the backs of law enforcement, which there always are. But, you know, when you've got people, when you've got officers being ambushed in their homes and followed and that just takes it to a whole nother level. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready to <laughs> continue on that way. No, not at all. Not at all. And it, it has been a, a tough, tough, tough year. But looking back on it, um, you know, we all have a lot of advice now. There's so many things that the mic today would have done differently if I could rewind the hands of time and start my career over again. And I can talk about some of the things that I've learned, but I'm interested in, and I know our listeners are interested in hearing from you. Like, um, you know, it sounds like you had a pretty intense career in law enforcement. Uh, it started very young too, by the way. Uh, if you could roll back the hands of time, if you could talk to that young AK coming out of the, uh, out of the Academy, uh, what advice would you give that person entering into law enforcement? You know, what would you have done differently? What, you know, things that you, you know, now that you wish you'd have known then and, and maybe would have implemented into your life? Oh, I would definitely tell the younger version of myself not to let this world harden you. Um, I had... I didn't know it. I had um, some PTSD and, and stuff going into the job. And what happened was as I got into the job, as I started to see traumatic things and um, especially with the, the ICAC task force, I mean, some of the, the images that we would see were pretty horrific. And I was only 19 years old. I mean, that, that was a lot. Um, but what what I ended up doing was all of those traumas and all of that stuff that I was taking on really just kind of calcified in, in for lack of better terms. And it just made me really hardened to everything until I, I got to the point where I just kind of cracked. It just kind of cracked open. And I think had I been able to, be a little bit more flexible, be a little bit more malleable, not gotten so hard that I could have processed some of that stuff instead of just stuffing it and, and, and trying to be Billy Badass and be tough, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I would, I would just tell my younger self to, you know, not not try to be so tough all the time, for sure. How about, uh, you know, we talk about getting an identity, uh, you know, after maintaining our identity or, you know, really reconnecting with 
the outside world, you know, the civilians and taking care of yourself. But I know for me, if I could rewind the uh, hands of time going into law enforcement, all of the things that we're talking about, you know, after your career are really things that you should do while you're in the career. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, hobbies, you know, keeping those things. And, and I know that we talk about that a lot, but I mean, I mean it. I mean, having something in your life that you do that has absolutely nothing to do with the job at hand. And for goodness sake, taking care of yourself physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, your diet, um, your, your family. And all too often, and particularly in the FBI, I saw so many people put their families second, maybe even third or fourth to the job. And that's a real big mistake. I know if I could rewind the hands of time, I, I would have not done that. And then lastly, really just kind of taking yourself and the job way too seriously. I mean, this is a very, very serious job. It is, but it will eat you up. And you have to be able to laugh at yourself. You have to be able to look at this and not take it so seriously. It is an important job, but I think sometimes we think it's the only job on planet Earth, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, what I will tell you is, you know, if if you die tomorrow, that job's going to be posted by the afternoon. You're replaceable at your job. You are very replaceable. But in your home, where you are husband and you are dad and you are brother and son, you are not replaceable there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And and, that, and that's the perspective I think we need to we need to have. I, I can tell you, I've not gotten any calls from the FBI asking me where I'm at and, hey, can you come back because we can't seem to function without you. That, I, haven't, I haven't gotten that phone call yet. Have you? No. Nope. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But uh, so it will, it will eat you up. It will eat you up. So now, uh, how long has your company been uh, operating? I launched during police week this year. So good. Um, right in early mid-May and... Um, so I'm only a couple of months in, but I'm, I'm gaining speed and I'm hoping to make a really big splash. I'm, I'm really excited to, to serve my brothers and sisters in a different way um, and, you know, make a big difference. So, Well, I mean, this is definitely something that's needed. And I'm trying to do that in, in my own way as well. And uh, now you're based out of Ohio, correct? Is that the, up in the Cleveland area or close to Cleveland? Yeah, yeah, I'm Northeast Ohio, and but I have clients from all over, so um, oh. I, I like to do, you know, Zoom calls, and that makes it, you know, COVID has made it very easy because now everybody is familiar with that, so I can, I really can take on clients from anywhere. Okay, and so I was going to ask you, so for our listeners, what, what sort of services do you provide? You provide Zoom training, maybe uh, in, uh, now that we've opened up a bit, although it looks like we may be heading towards some more lockdowns, but are you doing in-person training as well? Um, for agencies, yes. Yes. And um, But for the, the one-on-one coaching is mostly just Zoom, um, but I really enjoy the, the in-person stuff too because I like to incorporate um, yoga and breathing exercises and stuff like that. And you really, it's hard to do that over zoom and get the full effect. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, has this been something that, um, 
what what's the response been from the from the agencies? People are people pretty receptive because the law enforcement crowd can be a pretty hard crowd, particularly <laughs> when you're talking about things like yoga and wellness and mm-hmm. and taking care of yourself and talking out issues that can be tough. And I'm saying okay. that because I was one of those people that was very reluctant to do it. So I'm I'm saying that you know oh, I'm talking sure. to myself at this point. But how how was the reception to this? You know the way I framed it, I think has made it very. Um, conducive to law enforcement because my presentation is called beat the burnout. So you're really, you know, when I'm presenting it, it's more focused around, um, employee retention, (laughs) um, agency morale, stuff like that. So they, they think they're, I mean, that is what they're getting, but on a little deeper level, I sneak in some of that mindfulness stuff because, it's very important. And once they're in there and they're able to actually try it themselves, they can see how they feel different. And so the, the way I um, initially present it, it makes it a lot more conducive because I, I know cops, I was one. And so I, I know the, the stigma is very much out still out there. And so I kind of frame it in a way that, doesn't sound so scary to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people want to contact you to, to arrange some training, like how, how would they contact you? So um, best way is just directly email akd at lifesaverwellness.com. Um, you can just go straight to the website, lifesaverwellness.com. Or, um, you know, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm a little bit of everywhere. Um, and they can contact me directly. Um, I'm AK Dizani on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, or everything else is under Lifesaver Wellness. So. Okay. And so is this something that you're going to be incorporating into uh, the, the assist for Ohio Assist? Or is this, uh, you, you plan on being a peer in Assist? I would love to be a peer and I, I, we really haven't explored that option. Um, I obviously would need to talk to them more about that. I would love to do that, but you know, they've already have some folks doing some similar stuff. So, you know, I, if in the future I had, that opportunity i would absolutely take that up so going from your your viewpoint talking about the pcis and for those of you that are first responders and you live in a state that has pcis and and check your what not every state has this okay so check the the websites in your area and check the internet and see if your state has it and if this is something that you may benefit from please check that out but from your perspective now i've been doing this as as a peer and as a presenter now for a number of years but could you walk the listeners through a little bit about what your experience what did you experience there kind of let let the listeners know what it is that they would be walking into if this is something that they uh 
decided was necessary for them to do? Sure. So, you know, the first day there's obviously some preliminary stuff and then, um, they, they allow you to bring a peer support person, which I think is wonderful because I think sometimes, you know, spouses and partners need to, um, feel like they can be exposed to some of this stuff, help them understand a little bit of what their, you know, first responder goes through. So then we, they literally just hand us the mic and say, tell us your story. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of, um, ripping off a bandaid and, um, it's a little bit scary, but it's, you know, sitting back and thinking about it now, just a week later, um, it was really beautiful. And I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but for a bunch of first responders to be in a room full of strangers and just bear their soul and tell them, you know, the, the stuff that they've been through and um, just let it out. I mean, that's the biggest thing is we just don't talk about this stuff. And so when they're able to actually put words to it, you just see such a relief. And then um, so everybody gets an opportunity to kind of share. And um, then we kind of break off into smaller groups and dive a little bit deeper. And in, in the interim, you have um, an opportunity to have a chair massage and um, speak with an actual clinician. And uh, you also have the opportunity if you would, would like and if you're a candidate to do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization. I can never say this word desensitization and reprogramming, which is incredible. And then, you know, in the evenings, they offer um, yoga, prayer service, and the meeting with you for the addiction stuff. So, um, and really by the end of the third day, you just look around and everything, everybody feels like they, they look like they feel lighter. The bags under their eyes are gone. They're standing up straighter. The hair's out of their face. It's just transformative. And, and it was really beautiful to be a part of it. Yeah. I've wondered over the years that I've done it, why it was not mandatory for everybody in law enforcement to go through right. And, every, you know, and I understand that, you know, there's a lot of agencies that are out there and, and not every agency can afford to let, because it is three days. It's three days that you, you go through this thing. But if you can just see the transformations that take place, it would be well worth it. And if you're somebody that's struggling right now and you're listening to this, I really uh, implore you to reach out to whoever runs this in your state if you have it and i'll tell you what if you don't have it in your state you can look at other states and ask if you could possibly participate in a um an, in a pcis because i've seen that happen too you know people have gone from ohio for example out to south carolina uh arkansas and texas uh where they they have you know these programs and they're they're helpful but it is so transformative but there's so much we need to do for our first responders to take care of their wellness particularly now um there's there's a greater need than i've i've ever seen in my my entire career but uh it is something that i think is just it, it will change you it really will completely i would 100 percent stand by that mm -hmm. now along with that um 
for the people that are listening, now you've talked about some other things that you're involved in, and some of our listeners may not even be familiar with uh, some of the things that, that you have, but uh, maybe tools to help them um, have live better lives, healthier lives, and uh, just may help them with their mental well-being. So you've talked about you know counseling, getting counseling, uh, working through different issues. Now you mentioned Reiki. Now there's a lot of people that are, are not familiar with Reiki. And and I will tell you this, I had a, a colleague of mine, I'm going to have him on this podcast at some point, we're going to talk about Reiki, he's a Reiki master. And if you've not heard of it, and I think a lot of our listeners have not, what the heck is Reiki? And what are the benefits of it? So what it really, at the, at the core of it, it's just energy transfer. It's energy healing. And, you know, if you think back to like your eighth grade science class, we're all made of energy, right? Like we are just a bunch of atoms, you know, vibrating together and we are energy. And so we have different energy centers in our body, which is our chakras. Um, And so this is where I start to lose people generally, but hang in there with me. Um, (laughs) So our chakras are all tied to physical and emotional forms of dis-ease or unease disease in the body and so with Reiki, hence the word disease right the, dis-ease exactly um so with reiki the reiki master or practitioner whoever it is um has the ability to kind of tap into your energy centers and and feel and notice if there's anything out of balance um, and they can kind of get you back into alignment. Uh, so some of it's just like scanning and informative. Some of it is more alignment based, which is what I tend to be best at is getting your chakras realigned and and balanced. Um, and then some of it is just very pointed healing to, you know, each chakra. So, it's um it's very interesting stuff. It's a very fluid type practice. Uh, it really depends on the practitioner, uh, what your experience would be like. Well, let me tell you a little story. And I know, okay, I told you the story when I was in Ohio, but for the listeners, um, I'm I'm going to tell you. For those of you that are kind of skeptical about this, well, just just hang on there for a minute because I was very very skeptical. And just by way of background, you know, a lot of you, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I, I developed and taught a course called Leading at Risk Employees down at the FBI Academy, and that dealt with addictions. And, uh, you know, the audience was of uh, police executives and what kind of programs, policies, procedures should you have in your agency to deal with employees that are struggling with addiction. So that's that's the, the theme of the course. And when I transferred out of the academy, the gentleman that came in to replace me after I left because it's still taught down there uh, to this day, as a matter of fact. Well, the guy that came in to um, teach after me was a Reiki master, and he was telling me how he was going to incorporate Reiki into the class. And I thought, what the heck? <laughs> what are you even talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about here. And he started. He mentioned all the things that you just did, AK. And I thought, oh, wow, that's that's kind of... I don't know if these guys are ready for that. I'm not sure what that's all about. And he's, we started getting into these conversations about energy and energy transference and uh and and i won't even begin to try to explain it because i i would just completely bastardize it and you'd be mad at me because i would not be explaining (laughs) it correctly but i will tell you this that there were just things that this gentleman told me and then i experimented with them and then i became a true believer in this i really did and you know what 
um, before you start thinking that maybe these energy forces don't exist, I will say this. How many of you cops out there, and we've all had this experience, and I know you have as well, AK, how many times have you walked out and you just you had a feeling about something, right? We always say it's, mm-hmm. it's a feeling about, well, that's a, I don't know, there's something with that person over there. Uh, it just This doesn't feel right. And that's probably not by accident. And I think, you know, being in the world of Reiki, you would agree with that. That really what you're, it's not just a feeling. You're, you're picking up on the energy that's being, you oh, know, yeah. we, we've walked into a meeting. Maybe you walk into a meeting. Hey, I got a good feeling about this. Or there's just a negative vibe in this meeting. You know, that's a real thing because it's the energy that's being transferred. For this gentleman that told me about Reiki, he told me about this thing called the white rice experiment. And we, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. And he said, you know what, Mike? Here's this thing, and you and you can look this up on YouTube. Uh, just look up the, the white rice experiment. And, and in essence, this is it. Um, you take a, a bowl of rice, white rice, and you, you uh, it, it, like in a plastic container, you, you take, uh, uh, put rice in one container, and he had me write love on it. And then another container that said hate on it. And then for a week, I would go home, and I would, you know, talk nicely, gently, and love the, the container that said love on it. And then the other one, I would yell at it. I would scream at it. I would say nasty things, harmful things to it. And did this for a week. Now, my daughter tried to sabotage my experiment. I, I caught her doing that. She tried to mess up my experiment. But I told her <laughs> this was, <clears throat> you know, uh, this was science that I was doing. <clears throat> and she could not do that, that she was messed up my experience. But I, but I caught her doing that. It didn't ruin my experiment. But here's the thing. After a week of doing this, AK, here's what happened. And this probably won't be a surprise to you, but maybe to our listeners, that the love bowl with rice actually was still white rice. Nothing, you know, nothing had started to grow in it. The other one that I kept yelling at and saying negative things to actually started to get pretty moldy. And the way that my my, uh, colleague was telling me was that was the negative energy that was being projected into that bowl of rice. And it, and it was distinct. I mean, I took pictures of it. I, I couldn't believe it, that uh, that, that, that negative force uh, had that, that effect on the bowl of rice. Have you heard of that experiment before? Not with rice. Um, I had heard of that similar experience or experiment with plants. Um, and, and, you know, the plant that is given all the love just grows and grows and grows. And the other one just wilts. Um, and it's it's the vibrations too. So you talked about yeah. you talked about um, you know, just coming up on a scene and you can just tell, you can just feel it. And so there's actually a scientific term for that, and it's called sympathetic vibration. Mm. Because our hearts and our souls and our, you know, our beings send out energy. And and when you can when you're in the presence of somebody you can feel that. And if it's negative, man, there's, there's no mistake in it. And, and you know, that feeling when you just roll up on somebody and you're like, this dude's bad. <laughs> yeah. You, um, you just, you know, we used to call it intuition, but now that after talking to this, this colleague of mine, I, I think there's more to it. I actually think that, um, you know, all joking aside, I think it's an actual energy an energy that you're picking up on. It's not, it's not just intuition. No, it's a real energy that you're picking up. Yeah. When I think they go hand in hand, you know, and I think the intuition is being able to discern, you know, if what you're feeling is accurate or not. So it's it's kind of a, a chicken and the egg kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Well, fair enough. Uh, but either way, 
when you're exposed to that kind of so we talk about the white rice and the one that the turned the bowl that turned moldy now if you take that negative energy on uh, on us so we talked about law enforcement in particular and you know the, the same can be said about EMTs and and firefighters you know that negative energy coming at you all day every day year after year um, so if we if we can um, you know cause a, a plant to not grow properly or a bowl of rice to, to start molding, what is it doing to you? What is it doing to you and your body and your health? You know, and that, I think that's what we're we're concerned about here. Yeah, and I, I you know I think about corrections officers. <laughs> yeah, you know they're always right there in the thick of it, and and their energies. You know, they have to do a lot of inner work. Yeah, that is, that is so true. Because um, I, in my career, I actually did work corrections for about six months. And I will tell you, that was one of the most, just on my body and my soul, one of the most negative experiences I'd ever had. And and so if you're somebody that's listening to this and you've done corrections for 20 years, my hat is off to you. That is one hell of a tough job. Yeah, absolutely. Very tough job. And, uh, but having said that, uh, oh, and by the way, before I forget about it, that same um, colleague of mine actually uh, did a quick. Now you you do full Reiki sessions. I mean, where the, these go on for you know quite a long time, and you're doing a lot of work. But my colleague actually did a just a quick session on me, and he was able to detect um, a problem in my back. And don't you know that probably two months or so after he did that session, I ended up having to have back surgery, and I was completely unaware that I had any problem in my back. And then two months mm-hmm. later, I had to have surgery on it. So, hey, he made a believer out of me. I can tell you that. <laughs> he did. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> it was almost scary how accurate he was. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, a lot of a lot of times, you know, the, the Reiki practitioner can pick up on something and it makes absolutely no sense to the client at the time. And then it's usually, in hindsight, oh, wow, that's what was going on. Yeah. Um, and so it's... It's it's interesting because you know your body your body keeps the score and and your you really hold so much in our, in your physical body and you know it's bound to come up sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, one last takeaway for uh, from you, AK. What do you just one last piece of advice that you can give our listeners? And once again, just let them know how they can get hold of you. Sure. Um, so my ironically enough my one last piece of advice always on almost every show I'm on is just simply recovery is possible. So the fact that I'm on <laughs> a podcast called, recovery I think I'll is name possible. a podcast after exactly. that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So I, I would just reiterate that, you know, recovery is absolutely possible and, and hope is out there. Um, and if anybody is interested in, you know, the one-on-one coaching or the agency trainings. Again, best way to get a hold of me is AKD at lifesaverwellness.com. Oh, fantastic. And I've really enjoyed talking with you. And uh, it's just so nice to meet you. It was really great to meet you out there in Ohio. And I know that we're going to continue to work together in the future. And and so, folks, just reach out to her. And, and if there's any training that you need for your agency, your corporation, school, uh, no matter who you are. Because, you know, I know we're talking about first responders here, but the application uh, or what we're talking about has application to everybody and every organization 
Um, you know, so please reach out. But for goodness sake, whatever you do, uh, get help for yourself. Take care of yourself. Uh, life is a marathon. It is definitely not a sprint. And just like AK said, your your body keeps score. You know, you can handle trauma for a while, but you're not going to handle handle it for too long. And you got to get help if you plan on being in this game for a long time. So with that, folks, uh, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty, so find out more at FHEHealth.com. So as I always like to say, I don't represent any group. I do not represent anyone other than myself, and my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and, and maybe it'll help you too. So if I've said anything or if AK has said anything that doesn't apply to you, Except for that Reiki stuff. I want you to check that out. I don't care what your opinion is. <laughs> check it out because I'm a believer in it now. Um, but if you if you don't agree with it, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and, and help others because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way. And we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if there's any topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you. So guys, take care, and we will see you next time.